Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoeing Awarding Body. Hi and welcome to British Canoeing Awarding Body Coaching Podcast. My name's Lee Pooley and I'm the uh, Director of Coaching and Qualifications and this podcast is all around decision making but it's part two. Part two um, because we did a decision making uh, podcast early on, uh, I was going to say early on in the year, it wasn't, it was in 2022 and um, both Georgina Maxwell and Dan Wilkinson uh, talked around the theoretical aspects, although they give some practical applications of it. Um, we, by popular demand, both Georgina and uh, Dan were, were asked back to talk around, providing some examples around that. So um, delighted to be joined by both uh, Georgina, who's uh, working from uh, Glenmore Lodge at the moment in the office, and Dan is uh, up in the lakes or around that particular area. And uh, so welcome. Hi, Lee. Hi. Cool. So what we want to do is over the next 30 minutes, we want to start to explore. And um, one of the things that we were speaking about before we before we started pressing record uh, on the podcast is that um, within your within your career or time in life that you become quite um, okay about saying about some of the decisions that we have made in the past that may have not always been the best decisions or where, what may have influenced that and, and we were talking about how liberating it can be and I'm really pleased that both Georgina and Dan are able to share these experiences and hopefully what we can do and the listeners can do is learn from these these particular areas. So Georgina we're going to start with yourself if that's okay um, and you're going to give us a bit of a, a bit of a case study or a, or a story of what you've experienced um, uh, in the past. Okay hi everyone um, so yeah I'm going to I don't know, the original script was to talk about an epic. <laughs> and, and I suppose I'd like to think about it as a learning opportunity. So um, I don't remember how many years ago it is now, but I just recently passed my advanced leader qualification. And I was working at a school and we had some students which were actually becoming really quite good kayakers. Um, so we'd made a plan and I was working with um, an individual who had had that award for quite a while um, and you know I looked up to him and everything and and I think actually probably what was going on was the other way around as well I just recently passed and he thought wow you know she knows what she's doing and we arrive at the river that we had chosen to do and with the students and we got there we're like oh that looks a bit high and um, so we had a quick conversation like oh where should we go you know where should we take them instead and it was quite a tricky conversation to have because, you know, this particular person's thinking, well, I know everything because I've just passed my award. And I'm thinking the same to him. He knows everything. He's from this area more than me and he knows more than me. Um, and we ended up going down to the lower section of the river because it was a lower grade. And uh, I think you probably know what's coming next. <laughs> that means that the water was a lot higher than expected. And I remember this moment of sitting on the on the river with the students thinking, wow, that looks brown. But there was these really big snowflakes falling out the sky and everything went really slow motion. And I'm scanning around. I'm like, the students are happy. 
but I'm not happy. I feel like we're we're going into this really fast moving water and it's only grade one, two. And, and if you're familiar with the area, it's the lower Findhorn that we had chosen to go on. And it was the middle Findhorn that we'd chosen to skip that day. And before you know it, a little rapid turned up and all the students capsized and it was carnage. <laughs> and um, had this, I suppose I had quite a scare from it, you know, I'm thinking I'd just passed this award, I'd made a decision and I got really scared that I'd, I'd potentially put these students in danger. Um, we cleared up the whole situation, we lost a few boats, we got out in the middle of nowhere on the left, river left, I had no mapping with us and <laughs> we're dragging these students out and remaining boats along the side um, and waiting for the school to come and pick us up. And well that's the scenario but it actually happened to me and um we came away from that and both had a really long conversation and you know i just put an expert halo on him and he put the same on me so the decisions were actually quite hard to communicate together because we just both had different expectations from one another and um, everyone was safe everything was fine but it was a very much a, an opportunity to learn from and Georgina, if you could, I mean, if we had the, the, the powers to be able to be transported back in time, what what would you do differently now? Well, <laughs> I suppose moving forward with time comes wisdom. So I suppose I didn't have the wisdom and the knowledge of the lower section of the river being as big as it as it became. Um, and just, and what I went for was or what we went for together was the fact that it was a lower grade and would have been easier to manage but it wasn't, it was it became high water and that's harder to manage. Um, even though the students had roles, they could roll their kayaks, they were, some of them were um, doing cartwheels in the pool at school, you know, they're, they're very handy boaters, but the, the environment was just so fast that it, it just changed so quick. Um, in that situation, if I knew that was gonna be the outcome, then we'd just go back to school and do something another, the next weekend, mm. you know, we just can it. <laughs> And and to help and to help for listeners that may not have accessed part one yet, and I would really recommend that people that listeners do. You mentioned the expert halo. Could you just give us a bit of an explanation of what 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 you mean by that? Yes, but well, to me, an expert halo is um, it, it could be a member within your group. So you could be a, a club paddler, and you're new to the club, and you have some handy skills. And you you know you know a thing or two or, or not you're a complete beginner, and somebody within that group is more experienced or um or or you perceive them to be more experienced. Um, you look up to them in a way to go oh actually they do know more, um, they've done more their their um their decisions are going to be more um you know informed and they're going to make some good decisions and good calls there some people may not even be aware that they've become the expert within the group or have that expert halo on them um, so people might just look to you for decisions and you you might be naturally making them anyway because nobody else is um, so yeah it's a yeah that's that would be my description of an expert halo yeah okay that's great don't don't go away because we are going to come back to you yeah so uh okay well so we're going to go across to dan now um Dan, what have you got installed for us uh, for your first example? Hi, Lee. I'd like to take you back about a decade or so, if that's okay, to um, a little country called Kenya in the middle of Africa. Um, so just to set the scene, I had 
just finished doing my apprentice instructor year at Plaza Brennan. Um, and right at the end of that year, I've been invited on a trip to Kenya with a few fairly well-known coaches and paddlers from North Wales. And and for me, as I was trying to work my way into working in that environment, you know, working at a higher level, um, I'd previously worked at university and stuff, but I was trying to kind of break into that. As I perceived at the time, you know, the, the higher echelons of coaching practices and stuff, and being invited on this trip, I was like, this is a really good opportunity to kind of show my skills and have a really good time at the same time. Um, and it, uh, and I was only invited on the trip really because somebody else had dropped out and they were trying to make numbers up to four. Yeah. <laughs> so right, we're all friends now. It's all friends. But, so we went, we went to Kenya for three weeks in November of 2012. Um, and that, we had a brilliant trip. You know, we completed several first ascents. We'd done a load of work with a rafting company out there. Um, I, I was having the time of my life. This is the sort of thing that I'd dreamt about as teenage me had dreamt about reading magazines and things, like doing this exploratory kayaking. Um, and then we were just scouting rivers by Jeep and driving around and looking at the headwaters of things. And one day we'd come across this waterfall called Kamwasi Falls. Um, and we were kayaking, looking at that to kayak with a view to doing the first ascent of it. Um, and so we scouted it a bit that day and then about a week later no three or four days later we came back to have another look at it with a much more formal idea of actually running it setting safety checking the pool depth and stuff so um pete went across uh, pete got in his boat at the bottom paddled out checked the pool depth uh, a couple of us walked up to check the lip of the drop this is about a 60 foot waterfall so yeah, and we decided that Pete paddled his boat out, probed the depths, tried to work it out, and we kind of. And he said oh, that it, he felt like it was deep enough. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, that's good. I went to, so I then went to scout the lip of the drop, and the lip looked really sketchy. It kind of kicked you really hard left, so it was a sloping, twisting entrance uh, into drop. I was like. Oh, I don't really fancy that, but and then I was stood at the lit with somebody else, and we were talking about what you could do to overcome that. Um, and I was like, "Well, all these all these people who I perceive are better than me. I like looking at this drop and thinking it's a realistic thing to run." And I was like, "I can kind of see a line. I kind of can't see a line, but I can kind of see a line as well." So um, I stopped thinking about it at that point and just went and ran the waterfall. Um, I completely pittened out from 60 feet, smashed the entire front end of my boat, straightened out the foot, the aluminium foot bars completely. Um, fortunately, I didn't break myself properly. I had a very, very swollen right ankle for about a week afterwards um, to the point where I had to go home in a set of flip-flops because I couldn't actually put my trainers on still. But I hadn't done any permanent damage. Um, and now as I sit here looking back at that, I'm like... Well, there's a lot of things that have gone a little bit awry in that decision-making process as I look at it from my slightly older, wiser head on. Um, you know, firstly, I was like trying to prove myself to a group of people that I didn't really need to prove myself to. You know, I I, I was already, you know, in their eyes, I, I was seeing this as this like massively elite club. And actually, they're like, oh, we're all paddlers together. It doesn't matter what work you do. We're all paddlers and coaches together. But from my outside, my outside perspective, it, it felt like that. Um, and then I was 
on this trip and i was like wow i'm trying to like really prove myself not only to these people but you know we're making a little video about our trip and all that sort of stuff and this looked really good on the on the footage and it looked really good on our little blog post that we're doing if anyone remembers blogs from a decade ago you know um and i was like and i'll get my name out there and then people know who i am and all this really cool stuff and then the sponsorship deals will open up and the heavens will rain with money because that's what happened in kayaking um so uh, and then I'd also kind of let myself be lulled into a sense of security where other people also looking at doing the same thing. And I think looking back at it now, I was like, there's no way that's actually a realistic line because you just get shot away from where the water lands. Often, So I probably landed four or five feet to the left of where the majority of the water lands. And that was a realistic thing to have perceived had I had a little bit more experience in that environment. But because everyone else was looking at it realistically, I was going, oh, it must be all right. thing. Yeah, so that's my unpacking that. And there is a bit of footage available on the internet if people want to watch me really mess it up somewhere, if you have a little dig around. Well, that, that certainly is uh, to be able to sort of signpost, signpost to your video uh, of, of shooting the waterfall. Um, you must be in a really sort of strong place to not mind people seeing that. Um, Dan, you... You said you said while you're describing describing the sort of you know the 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 sort of the build up to to running that waterfall. You you did say, um, and then I just stopped thinking and just did it. What what do you think happened? You know what what made you just go? What just made you at one at that point in time just to go? Do you know what I'm just going to get on with it? I, I think my emotional part of the brain in wanting all those things that i just chatted about mm. took over my rational part of the brain mm. but in a in a vague flight or fight sort of reflection reaction but obviously not fight or flight it was just a i've seen what i'm going to try and do i'm just going to go and do it and i didn't really have a second reflection on that i just mm. put my spray deck on and slid off 60 foot into nothing I think everyone um well i'd imagine people listening they're going so did anyone else run it that day <laughs> not after that they didn't <laughs> <laughs> so, dan thanks thanks very much and um, we will come back to you don't worry um so georgina you've got hopefully you've got another installment for us yeah i do but actually i'm just thinking about what dan was saying and and that, that what you were just saying about that moment where there's a quick okay well we're going with this then and my previous example for me felt more like I was like floating or drifting towards the thing that was happening where Dan was like, right, this is happening. And it's and it, it's a, there is a definite moment where it goes from I had an opportunity to change something to now we're into it. Anyway, that was a quick reflection on that conversation. And um, my second example, um, I don't know if this ticks the mark, and I don't know how many people will relate to this one, but um, and it didn't end in any sort of uh, physical carnage or badness or anything like that. It was more of a I was disappointed in myself type thing and, and heavy on my own reflections. Um, I was employed by somebody. It was actually only last summer. And when I deal with my clients, I'm I really like to have these pre conversations about what they really want from their um, time in the mountains or time on the river um, and what we want to work on and, and I, I try and make quite a close connection with people before we do that 
And this particular employer said, don't worry, I've had the conversation with them. Um, they, want, they want this and they want it on these two rivers. And, and really those two rivers were the only ones available to us at the time because of the, the river levels. So you're thinking, hmm, is that really gonna tick the mark? You know, these, these are grade three paddlers and, and I've been sent to the River Spey, which is a grade two. Um, and it, you know, sometimes you can make an easy venue harder and more challenges, um, or you can give them more theory and, and information about how to, how to reflect and how to develop in the future. Um, so I set off and met these people at the river, a beautiful day, and you know, and I proceeded to do what I, you know, what I was told to do, I suppose. And you know, you, you enter this track of, okay, well, this is this is what I've been told what they want, but I'm getting signals. Maybe they they want a little bit more, but I can't offer them any more now because the river levels aren't there. And um, after the second day, you know, they leave dead pleasant, dead nice, dead happy. And then they send the feedback <laughs> to, to the person who employed me. And they're like, oh, it was way too tame. There was too much theory. Um, you know, we wanted more water than that. We wanted more, um, you know, a, a pushier type trip. And, and I was gutted, absolutely gutted, you know. And when you think about the decisions that I had on the plate for me, there wasn't many um to choose from you know i'd been told the venue i went i had to go to and i'd been told a certain way to to coach and what to deliver so it, it wasn't really me you know and i didn't i couldn't really change that um you're going to ask me what i would do in hindsight and how, how i would <laughs> no. I, I, no i'm not I'm, I, I'm not but i've got some questions yeah I don't I don't believe there'll be many people out there that actually have worked in industry that haven't been in that situation um, that, you know, you're you're employed and this is what I want you to do. But it was, you know, what was interesting is, you know, it was almost that, you know, Georgina, what you do is that you're a highly skilled professional um, in the outdoors is information gathering is the is the key element of everything you do isn't it to be able to make appropriate decisions and this is obviously was bypassed mm. um but what i'd be interested in is to is, you know how did that how did that actually feel because that that must have been really quite almost a pull on your values your your ethos your your beliefs your behaviors all of those things that are, are in essence who we are um, it was just interesting, you know, because, you know, that's bypassed a whole manner of things that, you know, you do on a daily basis. Yeah. So it didn't feel very easy for me. And, and I made a decision not to work for them again. But, um, you know, it, it, it was so far from how I operate that it, it wasn't easy um, for me to be delivering something that, I, I didn't strongly believe in, you know, I didn't feel like the water was right for them anyway. Um, I felt like I was taking their money and not giving them something that they wanted. Um, I'll give you a slight sort of um, different example on this. You know, you might work for an establishment and you might be new. So, um, say, for instance, where I am right now, you might come in as a new freelancer. And in your head, you're thinking, what do they expect me to be doing? 
and you go and do your thing and it's fine and you think okay well but maybe i should like them um, just change my character a little bit to to fit in to to be like what i expect them that they want me to be now in my view they've employed you because of the person you are and the skills and qualifications that you've got so there's there's no reason to try and fit in to a system you know to to fit into a certain way that you think it should be um, and I strongly believe that you should be that individual when you coach and when you when you're doing your job because that's that's what that's what your clients you know they like about you or they return and, and book you again. It's a humanistic behaviour though, isn't it? Is to try to fit in, um, you know, for the for the majority. Shall I should say? But it's quite a human humanistic trait, isn't it? Is to you know be accepted to fit into you know, um, and I think that's a yeah, I think that story that you've just told, no matter, you know, you know, whether you're highly experienced or you're new to the industry or new to organization, I think there is there's almost, you know, signals there is to is to not bypass information gathering, to be yourself, to be the person that you are and and engage with the clients. And, you know, it's it's always very difficult to push back, isn't it? Um but there are ways of presenting different alternatives of of what you could do with that client base. Um, yeah, it must have been a very really tricky situation. But you you obviously have made that decision as you know it, it goes right against your values that, that you you've chosen not to not to return to work for that that particular yeah. organisation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there there could be the option of having that conversation going. You know, if you're going to employ me, I'll I'll do the the contact. I'll do the pre course. Um, information gathering and and that that is that is always an option for people if they ask for it i think um yeah, yeah. there we go okay well georgina thank you very much um and we're going to uh go back to dan now for his final um episode um of decision making i was going to give you a choice of two actually do you want a paddling one which is whitewater kayaking again or do you want a mountaineering one from the alps i'm going to ask georgina to pick Oh, well, we've had quite a few water-based ones, haven't we? So let's go to the Alps. <laughs> Great. So um, uh, this is going back about six years now. My wife was changing her career uh, from being an outdoor instructor to training as a teacher. So we took a, a summer off and went around the Alps in a camper van. Kate, I'd done a bit of alpine mountaineering to this point. Kate had done very little. We'd done mainly rocky-based things. But I'd always fancied doing the north face of the Grand Paradiso, Georgina, which I know that you've done as well. Um, and so we we were just like searching around social media sort of thing. It was quite early. Um, and we'd seen that some friends had done it the day before, or some people we follow on social media at least. So I'm not going to go with friends. So we very quickly like jumped in the van, drove around to the base of the, booked ourselves into the hut, walked up to the hut. Um, got into the hut and uh, the thermometer at the hut height was reading 10 degrees which isn't great for snow ice climbing because it's a very big long for people that aren't familiar with this style of mountaineering there's a glacial approach so you walk over a glacier and then it's a probably a 400 meter high sort of vertical height gain in a big long snowy couloir about 65 to 70 degrees so not vertical but not far off vertical um, sort of thing uh it's a scottish winter grade one two sort of terrain um, and i was kind of going with my scottish approach of this so i was thinking that we'd kind of like be climbing up here 
putting some runners in. You know, we were going to move together, but we were going to, so moving together, we we're going to have the rope out. We we're just going to have 50 meters of rope between Kate and I. Because um, I was going to be able to find little belays and little things to use and stuff. Um, so, I, so we, so we were in the hut. It was reading 10 degrees. I was like, oh, it's a bit warm for snow and ice climbing. I said to the guardian, do you think it'll be all right? And she was like, it's going to be absolutely fine. You know, it, it sits in a little north-facing bowl, so it'll feel still really cold. And what we were aiming to do was climb on the snow rather than on the water ice. If you're on the water ice, you need to actually pitch everything really slowly. It takes a long time to move. And so the day before we got there, it had been really warm and a lot of the snow had stripped away. So that morning as we were walking up towards it, um, there was just a runnel of snow left on the left-hand side and the right-hand side was pure water ice. And I was like, well, at the very least, you know, if we can't get any gearing on the rock, we can at least place some ice screws and use those as protection as we move up through this kind of terrain. So we did really safe glacial travel, uh, got to the bottom of the route. We were the first team there up, which is quite important, I think, you know, for, from a safety point of view. So I thought we were doing really, really well. I was like, okay, great, just drop your chest coils and we're just going to go straight into moving together like this. So we ended up 50 metres apart and I was just started climbing. And started looking for some gear so i could put a runner in a, a place a piece of protection so that if one of us slipped they wouldn't pull the other one of us off and um, so if you've clipped your rope to something that's not going to happen and about i was i was going and i was looking i was having a little dig around in the rocks at the side and i hadn't found anything so i just kept going and i just kept going and then the rope came tight and i was 50 meters away from kate and we didn't have a single runner in <laughs> and i was like oh this is a suboptimal situation. <laughs> I was like, don't really know what to do now. Um, <laughs> just start climbing, Kate. <laughs> was what I shouted down. <laughs> and um, so Kate started climbing, dutifully following me <laughs> up. And uh, 400 meters later, we got to the top and I replaced a single runner. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I suspect there's a few things going on there. <laughs> He got away with it. <laughs> got away with it, certainly. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, so there's yeah. We, I, I, as I reflect back now, the route wasn't in condition. You know, we, we were being driven by this scarcity of this. I'd seen somebody had done it. I hadn't bothered taking it any further than that. The cool wire itself should have been filled with snow, really, to have been in good condition. And. Um, there was like a tiny little ribbon that we were able to be half on half off on some glacial ice and stuff the glacial ice was all like slush so you couldn't really place a screw because you've been digging around for about 300 hours i guess it's him um and, and and we got to the top and kate like had to stand there for about 10 minutes in the cold to like she had basically hot aches in her calves poor thing because we just kept going um on that sort of degree uh terrain yeah so I definitely think there was a bit of, I'd seen someone had done it and been led in down the cars and path and thinking it was in condition. Then we walked up to a hut, stayed in the hut overnight. The hut guardian had said, oh, yeah, it'll be all right. Um, you know, so we then took somebody else's word on it, got there, didn't really listen to the old spidey senses. You know, I, we'd, we were committed. Like, we'd just walk for two hours over a glacier to start climbing this thing and climb it. And then um, and it all went into a bit of a sketch fest from there, really. Mm. Yeah. But we're still here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's probably a lot of people out there. Uh, well, it's probably, you know, definitely the three of us on the call that have been in similar situations, maybe not just mountaineering, but, you know, um, 
but it's good that you can uh, amplify it and uh, and still smile about it um it made me it made me think about um it made me think about paddling really and almost you know the story that you were telling is about you know the people that travel a long distance you know to get to somewhere you know you know i'm very fortunate to live down in the southwest i think i'm fortunate because we've got the dart we've got the urn we've got the plim and the mevy and they're, they're great rivers but there are people that will drive from london and, and all over the you know all over the place to come to these rivers and they book a date in in the diary the year before and they drive there and it's almost well we've driven now for four hours we've got accommodation we've got to go and run some rivers and it's almost that story that you were telling is well i've walked in for two hours i've been at the hut and it's all of that that things that almost pushes you into doing it and we see that on a regular basis throughout the winter is that people will travel a certain distance and and they've got it in their heads that they are going to run the upper dart or they're going to run that i don't know if you have the similar in in scotland and in the lakes or you've come across that i'm coming yeah. across it at the moment with with people coming winter climbing um yeah. they come you know they have the weekend off and they they climb you know they they go to plan that and then the conditions aren't optimal but they go anyway and then the avalanches happen so yeah it happens in the mountains here as well it also happens to me as a provider you know i, I feel like i'm I, if i put a safety and rescue course on for example and then we either have literally no water or we have absolute tons of water and you're like neither of these up to, ends of the spectrum are up to them but now i'm gonna and then having that moral courage to say this isn't what this even though they might be coming to me for the weekend from london for a safety and rescue course i'm gonna say to them like team this is not what you've signed up for you know this is not going to be the course i want to deliver to you and having that courage to like let people down in that way um can be quite challenging actually you know and people have committed a lot of things to it and obviously i've committed my time you know to that as a as part of my work i do so it is it is a difficult place you know and yeah it's a long time since i've provided a course um but you know that you know people talk about professional integrity and that's that's a classic isn't it that people jump to that professional integrity but what goes with that professional integrity is the other things about letting people down and you know we're in you know we work with people because we you know we value relationships and the last thing we ever want to do is let people down so you have this you always have this constant wrestle don't you um and it is difficult i absolutely agree with you dan it's um you know after after doing it for 20 odd 25 years of providing courses it's you know you you go through that almost i mean you know a good friend of mine um you know i speak to him on a regular basis and i'm now you know it's quite nice that i don't every day have to wake up and check the weather forecast and think about the course i'm running in the weekend and think about am i going to have enough water or am i going to have the right conditions um and i would imagine you're still there aren't you always look at the weather forecast knowing what courses are coming up and whether they're going to work or not um so yeah i can absolutely sympathize sympathize with you dan um i didn't tell you about this um and i did it on purpose really um uh, before we before we close um the podcast what i'd like you to 
what I'd like you to do is give some words of wisdom on decision making. So what words of wisdom would you encourage listeners to consider um, or traps or pitfalls to avoid when making decisions? And um, Georgina's got her hand up. No one else can see that. Um, <laughs> Georgina can go first. I'll go first. Just instantly, <laughs> instantly that comes to mind is don't be scared to ask. Don't be worried about um, you know, your employer if you're working for someone or even if you're working for yourself. Um, don't be worried about asking other professionals about the decisions that you're making. I'm, I'm maybe coming from more of a, you know, you're looking after people and you're taking people out somewhere and you're unsure about the conditions. You know, I'm never afraid now. I was because you think, oh, if I ask, it's a sign of weakness. But now it's like, that's me gaining all the information, backing up my reasoning, backing up all of my decisions. I'm not afraid to ask. And I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd hope nobody's afraid to ask anyone. Yeah. Can I follow that up before giving my last words of wisdom? Uh, so anecdotally, you're most likely to be avalanche backcountry skiing if you're backcountry skiing with a group of backcountry ski guides. Because they're all assuming that everybody else has seen the warning signs, has ignored the danger signs, and then they're going, oh, I don't want to be the one to speak up. So I just really want to reinforce what Georgina's just said about speaking up and just asking the question, because it might be that you've noticed something that no one else in your team's noticed that might then change the decision process. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and my word of wisdom, if you want a framework to work within, is just ask yourself, why? Why are we doing this? And if, the, and if you can't give a very good reason for why you're about to do what you're about to do, then have a think about what else you could do. Brilliant. Okay. So, um, yeah, some, you know, two quite pre predominant, you know, um, words of wisdom. And, and, you know, both Georgina and Dan, thank you very much for your time um, and, you know, being able to record the two podcasts. Um, anyone that's listened to this and this is the first one, um, please go on to onto onto the part one. You can find it on the uh, the British Canadian Awarding Body Coaching Podcast. But um, Dan, Georgina, thanks very much, and uh, take care. Thanks for having us, Lee. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. Remember to review, rate and subscribe. Bye for now.